How do I share Jesus with a family member who isn't a Christian? We're going to talk about that next on the Monday Christian Podcast. Listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program dedicated to helping you put into action the truth of God's Word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. And now, here's your host, Ezra Beyer. Well, hey there, welcome to another episode of the Monday Christian Podcast. If it's your first time, welcome, and I uh, hope you enjoyed it. And at the end of this episode, if you do enjoy it, Go over to iTunes or Google Play. Maybe you're listening on that those devices right now, and leave us uh, just a positive review. That would be very, very helpful. I emphasize a positive review because I get the biggest kick sometimes of reading online reviews. Because that's what I always do. If I go on Amazon or or uh, I'm trying to buy something online, or recently Janana and I were looking for a tax accountant in our area to get taxes done, and so what do you do? You check the reviews. And this one person that we were checking, and uh, we'll get our taxes done this year uh, through. I was reading and and fantastic reviews, five star, five star, five star. And then you always find the one-star people. And it was the funniest thing, because this lady, I guess she did it accidentally, but it was kind of funny. She left one star, but said, man, the service was great. We'll definitely be back next year. And I always think the person receiving those, those reviews, um, they just love people like that. Just, you know, don't want to quite give the five stars to mess, you know, keep the ratings a little more balanced. So anyways, if you could leave a positive review, that would be great. I appreciate it. On today's podcast, though, I'm bringing my friend Lewis Posthauer. And uh, I say friend, we actually, as I share in just a minute, we only have met, um, met via online one time. And I get receive his emails though on, on a regular basis with his Hunters of the Harvest ministry. And several years ago, Lewis, who was a pastor, um, decided that he wanted to start a ministry that reached out and helped coach people through the process of reaching unsaved friends and family members around him. And he'll explain how this all ties in with his, he has a Hunters of the Harvest specific strategy, um, does a lot of coaching for not only pastors, but lay people in the church. And I just love what he's doing. Because let's be honest, you and I, we all know one, two, <laughs> dozens, hundreds <laughs> of people that don't know Christ. And sometimes it can be very challenging uh, to know what to say. You're around uh, your family members, and they're saying, why are you going to church all the time? Like, what's what's the deal with that? And you want to share, but then you don't want to be obnoxious, and it's like, ah, man, how what do I do? I love what Lewis shares on this podcast, and it's just very practical. So uh, without any further ado, let's go ahead and jump right into this interview that I did with Lewis Posthauer just a couple months ago. Today on the podcast, so excited to have, um, I call him, I could call him my friend, but to be honest, we've only met for the very first time. Uh, his name's Lewis Posthauer, and uh, I've received his emails from huntersoftheharvest.org for several months now, and he has a fascinating ministry, and I wanted to have him come on and share with all of you more about uh what he does. And so, Lewis, thank you so much for taking some time to come on this podcast. It's my honor, Ezra. Thank you for inviting me. Well, absolutely. And uh, you, you do something that is very exciting and is important to, uh, especially me as a, as a Christian, and I believe many in our audience will be excited about this topic as well. And basically, with this idea, how do we help our friends who have walked away from the Christian faith how do we reach out and, and help people that are in that situation? And uh, so I just thought, why don't we just go ahead and jump right into this? And I'd like to have you just share a little bit of your background and how did you first come to faith in Christ? Okay. Uh, Ezra, of course, I was uh, born and raised in Houston. You can tell that by my accent. But I did indeed grow up in the church, local church, uh, up through uh, the time of high school and, of course, college and career then came, and that's where the drifting started in my case. 
And um, it went to the point that um, after a number of years of living the hard lessons of life at age 33, I had a radical reconversion, recommitment uh, experience to the Lord Jesus Christ and started going full speed ahead for him just as I used to do uh, in the world on my own behalf. And uh, obviously, um, I got immediately involved in a small local church. And after about 10 years or so of participating, learning, studying, growing, and being involved, frankly, in just about every possible area of ministry that the church can be engaged in, after about 10 years of that, the Lord impressed upon me to reach, to um, <clears throat> commit myself to volunteer full-time ministry. And that's what I started doing at our small local church, about 50 members or so. Well, I immediately got heavily involved in visitor follow-up and outreach ministry. And as a result, the Lord showed me a lot of insights about what we call dropout believers. And more importantly, though, he showed me a divine strategy for engaging those people and restoring them to the local church. And so after a while of uh, just doing what the Lord was showing me, I started getting calls from other pastors around the state of Texas and going to bring this message to their church that the Lord had laid on my heart, Hunters of the Harvest. And after several years of doing that, um, as things turned out, we moved away from that little church and I went back into industry. And that's where I stayed for the next 25 years up until 2016. Okay. And, and just before we get into more about what you do, I want you to back up before um, turning th age 33 and talk about those early years. Uh, you grew up in a Christian home? Yes, I grew up in a Catholic environment. Um, and uh, the good thing about it was my parents saw to it that I went to um, the, high, the, in, the elementary, the high school, and then I chose to go to the university as well. And um, so I had a great knowledge and understanding of the Bible, as well as theology and philosophy. Um, but I must say it had minimal impact on my life after I got out on my own in, into the world. So there was, was it like a big disconnect, essentially, where you had the training, but then it wasn't put into that? practical application in your everyday life, is that fair to say? I would say it's more a matter of, yes, I believed in the Lord, yes, I understood theology, but no, I had not, quote, turned my life over to him. I did my own thing. I'm guessing one of the reasons I think this interview is going to be very, very helpful to a lot of people is because if someone hasn't experienced this as much themselves, they know at least several friends and family members who have at one point either professed a faith in Christ, and now, for whatever reasons, they want very little to do with God, maybe very little to do um, with the Church. And talk about what your ministry does right now. Walk us through that, and, and just the, the passion that you have for this area of, of impacting Christians' lives. Yes, indeed. Um, Ezra, as you're probably familiar with, there's an organization called Barna Group who keeps track of church trends in the United States and beyond. And last year, 2016, they did a survey and found that of all Ameri adult Americans in the U.S., of every 10 adults, only three are in church today. And of the other seven who are not currently in church, guess how many used to be in church? Four out of seven. So what we are experiencing today is a tipping point. We actually have more dropout believers that are not active anymore in their walk than we do active Christians. 
So the and I'm guessing your personal experience has bore this out as well. To to I mean I I know listening to that statistic that makes a lot of sense. I I think I didn't really have that st- stat off the top of my mind, but just looking around the church world, I think that makes a lot of sense. Indeed, it does. And the practical outcome of that stat is that every active Christian, you, me, and others, can look around at family members, friends neighbors, and work associates, and we automatically know one or several of those people who are dropouts, and some of them very dear to our hearts, and it really hurts us, obviously. Before we go on, define a dropout believer. What's that mean? A dropout believer is one who has willfully disconnected from any meaningful relationship to the body of Christ. A lot of times I hear people, so that would fit into this category, okay, they would say something like this, uh, becoming more and more popular, um, people will say something like this, especially of my generation, okay, I love God, the church is too judgmental, too critical, I just don't, you know, kind of, they kind of go back to that old uh, Gandhi, Gandhi quote, which said, you know, I, I, I just, I, I love, what's it say, I love, uh, I love Christ, I just don't like Christians, something to that effect. It, are, what what's brought about this generation where we've made this shift to this point? And any thoughts on that? Oh, yes. Um, in dealing with many dropouts, uh, obviously, when you ask why or you observe them, you'll find one of several things going on. Number one, they've been hurt by the church somewhere along the line. We call those burned Christians. They say they had a chance to, <clears throat> I mean, they hurt me once, and they're not going to have a chance to do it again. Or things like, well, it's just me and Jesus. I don't need the church. Or, well, nature is my church. Or, that's not one of my priorities. It's not necessary. But these and other reasons that you hear all boil down to the fact that the dropout believer has embraced one or more lies from the enemy that has caused them to want to disconnect from the local church, the body of Christ, and be submitted to them. And those strongholds are an essential part of what the Hunters of the Harvest Ministry does in identifying and bringing those down in prayer so that the Holy Spirit can once again be free to move in the dropout's heart to convict of sin, to convince of righteousness, and to draw them back to the Lord as well as the church. So let's talk a little bit more about this. Talk to someone who's listening today, and they've got a friend, family member. They once said, I love God, I'm passionate about following God. For whatever reason now, they've started to drift. Talk to that person right now. What are some things through your coaching, your advice, that you would recommend... Actually, let's start with this. Before we recommend what they do do, what are some things you would recommend that we don't do for people that are starting to drift around us? Very good question. Um, For a typical dropout, it's pretty clear that we shouldn't do a couple of things. Number one, we shouldn't quote the Bible and try to preach at them because, hey, I know that already. Number two, we shouldn't tell them what they need to do. You need to be back in church because the attitude is, I've been there, done that. Okay? So a couple of things along those lines are not productive at all with dropouts. Then reverse of that, what do we do? And that's where the hunter's strategy comes in. In 1 Samuel 30, we won't go into it today, but uh, the incident where David and his men had their camp at Ziklag raided by the Amalekites, it turns out that um, the Amalekites took off with all their wives, all their kids, and everything of value. And when David and his men came back, they were devastated, of course, very upset and angry. But at that point, David did several critical things that totally turned the situation around and enable him and his men 
to recover his kidnapped family members as well as his uh, property and completely reverse the effects of the enemy. And what we do in Hunters of the Harvest is we look at those five things that David did, applying them to today, in which the analogy, of course, is that we here in our church family, in the body of Christ, the devil has come in and deceived some of those and carried them off back into the world. And we then become effectively a hunter to reach out to them, to engage and develop a relationship of restoration with them, which will be effective in drawing them back to the church and restoring them. Basically, give me some examples how that's worked. I was, uh, before this interview, you sent me a video clip of a couple that you had worked with, and I just loved it to hear their story and, and how that's played out. So give me a couple of examples, maybe uh, maybe even if you could do different age ranges, I don't know, just different people from different backgrounds. Um, I'd love to hear how this looks in, in practical, everyday language here. Absolutely. And to... Um give you those one or two quick examples. First, let me just quickly go over the five essentials of the hunter strategy. First and foremost is we as active believers must strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And we go into what that means in the strategy. Secondly, we must ask the Lord, inquire of the Lord, Lord, is it time for me to pursue cousin Susan or work associate Sam? Because only God knows the timing of the heart. So the second uh, aspect is to prayerfully consider, Lord, do you want me to cultivate a relationship with them now at this time? The third uh, aspect of the strategy is upon an affirmation from the Lord, we then begin to actively pursue a developing a relationship of restoration, and we go into what that means. It's very focused uh, strategy. And then along the way, the fourth step is that we, as we get to really understand spiritually where the person's coming from, uh, we see by the Spirit strongholds, that is, false belief systems that the dropout is bought into. And then number five, having such an insight, then we can, in our prayer closet, pray and bring down those strongholds and pray the power of the Spirit over the believers so that ultimately he is freed from those deceptions and the Spirit of God can then be free to, you know, convict of sin, convince of righteousness, and the dropout inevitably wants to come back to church, not at your instigation, but at their own heart instigation. So let me give you one or two quick examples, if I may. Um, a neighbor, we'll call her Jane, a 50-year-old lady, never been married, raised in the church, the Methodist church, with a very devout mother, active in the church. Um, she grew up, was active in the church through high school, went out to the world, and up until a year and a half ago, was very happy about her secular life in the world saw no need of church and so forth. Well, she experienced a uh, health crisis event in her life that caused her pause. And because we knew her as a neighbor, my wife was able to start uh, reaching out and prayerfully supporting her and encouraging her and, and helping her actively in things that she was experiencing to the point that she decided on her own, I want to go back to church. Where are you going to church? And so she came to our church. And let me tell you, Ezra, that from that Sunday forward, she has been in church every day. She's recommitted her life to the Lord. She has been rebaptized, and she's seriously following God. She's in church and Sunday school every week. That's one example. That's, that's really exciting. What, 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 I'm just curious, in your life, when you see that happening, um, that's got to be one of the most exciting things for you and, and your wife to see that, eh? It is 
life-changing. I mean, it is our passion to see people return to the Lord, not at our instigation, but by their own leading from the Spirit, just because they've experienced the love of God in such a deep and transforming fashion that they realize, I can't go on without this kind of love in my life all the time, and that's God. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to get to a couple other examples that uh, maybe you could share in a second. Um, but talk about this first, because I can just hear someone listening and saying, okay, because this, this is an issue where it, uh, different people from different denominational backgrounds might have a slightly different viewpoint on this. And so I could hear maybe some person listening and saying, okay, well, um, someone they've maybe dropped away from God, but you know what, may, you know, God, maybe he's sovereign and, and he'll bring them back in his timetable, so I don't really have to do a whole lot. And then you have others from maybe a different persuasion that they would place the emphasis very highly on on the the per, you know physical person where we need to just pray and if we just pray enough then we'll finally be able to just pull them kind of back into the kingdom and it almost becomes a work salvation and so you kind of have maybe these two opposite extremes that float around out there in different theological camps how do you see that relationship between doing our part and allowing God to do his part, very very practically. Uh, very good observation, Ezra. There are the, if you will, the theology bookends or extremes about salvation and being with God or not, depending. But here's the practical matter of it all. There are three very good, very practical reasons why you, I, and every active believer needs to be concerned about the spiritual state of every single dropout believer. Number one, dropout believers have for the most part bought into the secular culture of today with all the attendant problems and we don't even need to list them. It starts with broken homes, divorce, abortion, and right down the list, read the riot list. But number two, dropout believers shortchange themselves and their families because they're not around to receive the comfort, support, and help they need in times of crises. And guess what? They often make bad decisions in those times. And guess what? It comes back to you and me and, yes, the rest of society. So there's a direct effect there. But number three, the most important reason that you and I need to be concerned is because the church is affected by the dropout believer because they are not around. They are, the church is affected financially, spiritually, physically, and emotionally because the dropout is not there with their gifts. And that is the bottom line. I love that answer for several reasons, but one of those is it takes it off just the individual. Um, because sometimes we hear, okay, well, we people need to just come back to faith because that's going to help their lives, and it will help their lives, obviously. But putting that within the context of the church, and that they've got different gifts and abilities, that if they're not there, th that church is missing out on, they're missing out on the benefit of all the rest of the family, uh, God's family within the church. I love that broader perspective. Um, I, I think that's, and I think that's something from people of any theological camp can get on board with. Um Give some more examples. I'm curious about that. Uh, tell, tell other ways. Let me give you a really extreme example. A uh, former family member uh, who's 92 years old um, was raised in the Baptist church by, again, a devoted mom and family and uh, believed and, you know, participated, went off to World War II, really found God in the foxhole, so to speak. And the interesting thing was, after World War II, this individual never again darkened the door of a church. Okay? Now, 20, 70 years later, early, that is, earlier this year, after we have been jointly working um, to draw him back to build this relationship of restoration with him for about eight years. 
this 92-year-old gentleman finally decided that he wanted to come to our Sunday school class. Not church, but Sunday school class. Well, two and a half, three months ago, he came and he was so impacted that he wrote a testimony about why the church needs him back, even at his age and having missed all of those years. And he's totally persuaded he has been back every single Sunday to our Sunday school class. And he has made a decision that he needs to be rebaptized. He, in fact, just today, he met with our pastor and that is scheduled for January 8th. After 70 years of being away from the church and the Lord, he's now coming home. Wow, that's really awesome. That's, and I want you to follow up with that. There might be someone listening, they're a little older in age, and they, they may be saying, you know, Lewis or Ezra, I've been away from God for a long time, just came back to faith in Christ maybe a couple of years ago, and it feels like I wasted so much time, and now I feel almost useless. Like, what little do I have to offer God in these last remaining years of my life? What do you say to a person like that? Well, actually, that would have been this individual's exact comment and question. In fact, it was in the early part of his written testimony, he says, I didn't need to be in church because God couldn't use somebody like me, especially at my age. And as God changed his heart, not through any logical argument, his testimony comprises the witness of the Holy Spirit that told him that you have skills and in fact, they were demonstrated because we called on him and asked him to do some cardboard cross cutouts for a ladies' retreat. It had nothing to do with going to church or anything. And because he was a handyman, he just loved to jump in and do it. And God used that experience to show him that there is a need for you, too. Wow, that's cool. I love stories like that. Um, when you work with people... Do you find there's a specific age where people, t I know we can't put a specific number maybe on that, but is there a general age where you sense people that maybe have walked away from Christ in, let's say, their early 20s? Is there a point in life where often they start sensing, okay, I want to come back to God, and maybe people who are listening to this, who are, who, um, they could maybe take note of this and say, okay, here are some points in people's lives when maybe they're more hungry for the gospel than at other points? Hopefully that question makes sense. Yes, it does. In fact, um, there it's not age so much as it is the realities of life. Uh, what we found, Ezra, over many years is that a dropout believer, as he goes through the crises of life, become more tender-hearted and open. It could be a health crisis. It could be a financial. It could be a personal. It could be a catastrophe like the Houston flood. It could be just about anything. In fact, Amos, uh, the book of Amos chapter 4, identifies uh, six typical types of calamities and tragedies that God says, you know, I gave you uh, cleanness of teeth, that is famine so that you would come back, but you would not. So I sent a calamity so that you would come back, but you would not, and so forth. So Amos is a very interesting perspective on how God deals with uh, dropouts at his appointed time. And that's not to say, okay, that every person that's going through a tough time um, is a dropout and being punished by God. No, not in the least. We know the story of Job tells us that is not the case. And so the point is that a dropout, sooner or later at God's timing, if he does not return on his own, will experience one or more of these crises and it will tender his heart and then he will be open to hearing from God more so. 
it's interesting you make this point because I was listening to a local radio station in Toronto, a Christian radio station, and one of the commentators on they were they were making this point and they said, you know what? They said some people basically the point that you just made. Some people will say that God brings different situations on their lives that will help turn them back to God, like like negative situations. And what I found was very interesting was they said, but I just don't see that God is that way. Like God is a God of love. And I just couldn't see him bringing something difficult into a person's life to point them back to God. And I was just scratching my head because I was saying, well, what about all those? You've got like dozens and dozens of stories like this in the Old Testament. And uh, maybe you could give a comment on, on that for people that have that belief that because God's a God of love, he would never bring something difficult into our lives to point us back to, to him. Well, I think... From a practical standpoint, if you've ever been a parent and you had a child who was absolutely recalcitrant and disobedient to the extreme, I think there would be some sort of disciplinary punishment incurred to get the attention of that child to try to um, have his behavior modified to, to come in line. And... I mean, God, <laughs> it says in the New Testament, in Hebrews and elsewhere, that um, his discipline is for our good, and the discipline can take any form that he desires. Just kind of shifting gears here a little bit, um, talk about the role of churches, people, uh, specifically local church congregations. Is there anything that you've noticed that local churches— talk to pastors, um, talk to those in key ministry positions within the church, that sometimes we do that unnecessarily just pushes people away and can maybe you know lead to that person saying, I once went to a church like this, and they just totally soured me on God. Like, Are there, are there any things that we can just, as church, churches, as Christians, that we just need to avoid that are just unnecessarily pushing people away? Uh, good point, Ezra, and we go into that in the ministry book, Hunters of the Harvest. That's part of developing this relationship of restoration. Yes, indeed, there are things, just as you mentioned, and without getting into detail, it um, puts boundaries around how we interact, how we verbalize, how we deal with dropouts so that they will not be put off but rather drawn back to the love of God. Good point. Okay, that's that's helpful. Um, what's your encouragement to maybe the friend of a dropout believer? Again, they're listening to this. Talk about the patient side of things. Sometimes we pray. I, I know this is the case for me. I've prayed for people for years, over a decade, um, and counting for some people that I've been praying for. And it feels like they just keep growing even harder in their hearts towards God and, and want very little to do with Him. And sometimes it can be very discouraging. What do you say to a person who's been praying for someone for years and years, and still it seems like there's no change? In a nutshell, they need to become a hunters of the harvest. And the purpose of hunter, becoming a hunter of the harvest, is precisely this, to um, go with God's Spirit-led plan to recover those who have been uh, taken away from the church and the Lord by the end. That that hunter strategy, as I mentioned, the five-step strategy. Um, any active believer and any church who wants to equip their members with the strategy can easily do so through either reading the book or taking now we have an online course for hunter strategy and churches can order small group facilitators kits whereby a small group or a series of small groups in the church can equip their members with this strategy and i guarantee once they are they are on fire with the fact that now i can be a part of this loved one's restoration to the church and the Lord. And it works. Do you think, sometimes I think we try to go this alone where we think, all right, I'm going to 
okay, this I'll just share very honestly. Sometimes my experience with Christians that have are praying for lost family members, okay, um, or friends. Um, sometimes exactly what you said earlier, they become a little bit preachy. You know, you just need to get back in church. You need to get back in the Word of God. And this person, exactly what you said earlier, they're saying, I've been there, I've tried that, I've done that, doesn't work for me. So, you know, <laughs> and, and, but it's like they get stuck in this one rut because that's all they know. And so they just keep, in, in every conversation they have with this person, it's like they can't have normal conversations because they feel like, they're responsible for this person's soul. And so unless every conversation is kind of like directed back to God in some form, they almost feel guilty leaving conversations because they're like, I didn't really do my job. Um, and so I guess talk to, talk about the practical side here of how do we love someone who, let's just be very honest, we want to see them in heaven and to spend eternity with God, spend eternity with us in, in heaven. That's what we want for them. And so how do we balance those emotions in our heart where we want to be loving towards that person and we want to share with them, but we also don't want to do something that's just pushing them away and pushing them farther from truth? Yes. Well, of course, 1 Corinthians 13 says, the bottom line, love never fails. This Hunter's strategy is based on that overriding principle, and it is true or it is not true, but in fact it is true. Love will never fail to draw a believer back to the Lord if we follow the Lord's uh, leading in this strategy. Um, to speak to some of your um, sticking points there, number one, the first aspect of Hunter's strategy is to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And there are several specific things we go into because if we don't strengthen ourselves, guess what? We're going to give up along the way. That road to restoration for that person may be six months. It may be a year, five years, 10 years. Oh, it could be 70 years, right? So number one, we got to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Number two, we got to realize it's not my time that I think he needs to be restored, it is God's time. And so the second step is ask the Lord, is it now time for me to start developing this relationship of restoration with cousin Susie or work associate Sam or whoever is on our heart? That's vital. Otherwise, you're just spinning your wheels because God doesn't have them in a place where their heart's open. And number three, how do you do that? You don't do it by some of the things we were talking about, but you do it by a specific, focused relationship of restoration. It's a very specific process. It's not hard, but it's a long-term process. It's not going to get them in church tomorrow. It's going to love them into church over time. And then all the things that have been keeping them in their mind, uh, these strongholds, these false beliefs, these attitudes, when those become apparent to you through this cultivation of this relationship, wow, then you can come to the Father and you, you can bring down a stronghold, you can pray the power of God over them in a way that will stop the devil in his tracks and then the Holy Spirit can freely encourage them to come on back just like the prodigal. Give me some early warning signs. In a second here, I want to get into some—I uh, want to do some role play. This isn't—I uh, didn't send you any notes about this, but uh, I want to just do a little role play here in, in, in a moment. But give me some early warning signs that uh, someone's kind of—they're starting to fall more into the dropout category. What does that look like? Let's assume this person isn't someone we know that closely, but they go to our, our local church— um, and we have at least at least a casual relationship. We maybe had them over to our homes um, several times. We're not tight, tight buddies, but we, we know them on a, on a decent basis. What are some early warning signs that, okay, they might be starting to drift here? Well, of course, erratic attendance is one obvious indicator, right? Um, a, another obvious indicator is 
complaining or critical attitude toward either the church or people in the church. Okay? And uh, things revolve around those uh, key areas there. With regard to preventing a person from becoming a dropout, uh, the, the Lord showed us that there, <clears throat> in Ecclesiastes 4, if you recall, it says a three-stranded cord is not easily broken. And we found over the years, Ezra, that if there is a three-stranded cord of connection of every believer to the local church, they will not become easily disconnected. Now, what are those three cords of connection? Number one, first and foremost, is every believer has to have the heart and vision of the local church and the pastor in his heart. Now, that cord is put there by God himself, and only God knows where that person belongs in what church and what vision and all of that. So, but that's critical. That's number one cord of connection. Number two cord of connection is every believer needs to have relationships to other Christians in that local church. It's great if I have a lot of Christian friends across town or down the road or, uh, you know, in Washington or wherever, but that is not a cord of connection to the local church. The third cord of connection to the local church is every believer needs to have an area of service to the local church. And again, it's great for me to be involved in great, wonderful ministries overseas and evangelism, outreaches and all of that uh, in other areas, but that is not a cord of connection to the local church. We have found that if one or more of those cords are weak or missing in a believer, they will fall away over time. I like that a lot. I need to make a note to jot that down and put that in the show notes. Um, that's very, very helpful. Let's do this in role-playing that I talked about. Um, I'm just going to pick it. It's not a specific illustration. I'm just going to make up one, okay? Because I, I tend to interview the way that I learn. And so if I, I try to interview from the perspective of a listener, and you keep mentioning this Hunters of the Harvest strategy. And again, for people that are new to this, huntersoftheharvest.org, you can go and find out more about that. Um, but let's take, a, let's take a common illustration, all right? Let's just make up someone's name. Um, let's, let's take John, okay? A basic name. And uh, he's been coming to church for, let's say, a year, all right? Um, so he's starting to do, uh, starting to become a little disconnected, becoming a little bit critical. Uh, used to be someone who was there maybe three out of four Sundays a month. Now, once every month, you know, something like that, okay? Now, here's my position. I'm just, I'm someone, another person in the church. And I know John a little bit. And um, I've kind of, I'm kind of sensing, okay, maybe God wants me to say something to John, but I feel kind of stuck, and I don't really know what to do, because internally I'm thinking, well, maybe this is the pastor's job, maybe I'm just going to mess something up, I'm going to turn him away and push him farther from God. And so I feel like, to use a, maybe a cliche, I've got a burden for John, where I'm, I'm praying for him, but yeah, I don't really know what's that first step that I do. So let's just pause right there. What's your advice? Okay, that's a great example because we go into the ministry book uh, in some detail about folks that uh, are or have been in church and how we as an active believer, a member in the church, can begin to reach out and cultivate that relationship. But let's say John, right? Um, so I'm just going to call up John you know, one day during the week, and, hey, John, this is Lewis Posthour. How have you been? And, okay, so I'm, so we're going to, okay, we'll do actual role play. All right, I'm doing great. Well, that's wonderful. I am so happy to hear that. Hey, John, <clears throat> I wanted to let you know that we have this um, uh, big meeting. Or, I'm sorry. <clears throat> let me back up. Hey, John, I just was calling to let you know that we are going to have a big get-together Saturday next 
for uh, both singles and couples to hear more about this uh, new activity that we're getting involved in to reach out to some of the neighbor's kids and get them involved in support sports and basketball things. And I know that uh, you're kind of into the uh, uh, sports scene here from a few things we've talked now and then. So I just want to let you know that that's coming up Saturday after next. I think it's 10 in the morning over there in the auditorium. And if you have any interest, man, this would be something great to check out. Oh, hey, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big sports guy. And uh, for sake of conversation, I guess we'll just say hockey because uh, that's I'm a hockey guy. And um, but, you know, just to be honest, I've just been pretty busy lately. Um, some financial stuff has been coming up. And uh, and I know I haven't been around church a whole lot lately and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, I've just, just been pretty busy. And, um, you know, I, I don't know that I'll totally have the time for all of that coming up. Well, hey, John, that's not a problem. Um, but since you mentioned uh, things getting really hectic and busy and financial and so forth, um, is there anything that you would like for me to pray for you concerning? Okay. Well, um, no, I, not a whole lot. I mean, I, th- I think I'm doing pretty good. Um, it's just, like I said, it's just been a busy time of my life. But um, I guess if you could, um, <laughs> I'll use this old cliche. Um, you know, I just, just pray there'd be more peace in the world. Okay. We can certainly do that. And I think the, the way I have to pray is... <laughs> Make me an instrument of your peace. I'll pray that to both of us. Okay, let's just pause this this experience because this is getting exhausting for me here. Um, You know, so this conversation, when when you pick up the phone to call or you talk to them in person, how do you gen like? Does it generally go over pretty well, or do you see people kind of being like I noticed that you automatically went to an event. Okay, here's something that we're doing. So you're automatically directing them towards that. You're not assuming. You're not coming at them with saying, "Why haven't you been here?" You're inviting them to be a part of something. Uh, why that approach? And this is exactly why we go into this in the ministry of Desert. We never look back. We always look forward. Okay, so we don't want to impose any kind of guilt on the individual because you know their life is what it is right and so we're only drawing them to the future so we always look forward we never look back that's rule number one and rule number two is if we sense that there's any kind of um, emotional uh, unease or, or things that are going on uh, we just simply offer, hey, if you got anything going on, uh, just let me know, and we'll be happy. I'll be happy to pray for you on that. And so it's just a very simple um, statement of, hey, we we <clears throat> know you are somebody that we care about or that I care about, and I want to let you know that there's something that may be of interest to you. And I am open and willing to pray for you, and that's where we leave it. Okay, let's uh, let's just do a couple more real quick. Let's take the hostile approach, okay? And um, all right, so you call me up, and here's kind of my response. Well, hey, th- thanks for calling, and and honestly, my voice is a little bit um, a little bit sterner in my voice. You can I could, you could probably tell I'm a little bit annoyed, and um, I'll say something like this. You know, honestly. Um, person X at church, they said something that was, they really offended my wife. And, uh, we're just, we just decided it's probably best for us just to move on. And, and, um, and, uh, we're just going to kind of take some time to reevaluate. And, uh, we're just, we're not really whole sure on this whole church thing right now. Um, uh, cause what they said was pretty hurtful. Yeah, I hear what you're saying, John, and I can really relate to that. I, I think, uh, We've all probably gone through different um, avenues of this over the years. I know I certainly have, um, and I I can tell you from the pastor on down, I've had a few of those experiences. So I understand where you're coming from, and um, let let me just say that um, 
we appreciate you we do love you and obviously church is not full of those perfect people in fact i'm one of those that uh, are a little bit less than perfect as well so i understand where you're coming from not a problem and uh, i'll just be praying that uh, the lord will you know work things out there for you and uh, you know uh, settle things so that you can feel your way forward okay let's pause again someone's listening and they're saying why didn't you push harder what's your response because typically that never works bottom line it never works and it raises the wall the wall that separates you from them and it just doesn't work it's that simple okay let's try a family one because we're coming up to this christmas season and you know let's just be honest sometimes christmas gatherings can be kind of difficult especially for parents um if say their children are no longer wanting to walk walk in faith and so the family all comes home and they sit down to maybe read the Christmas story because that's what they always did as a family. But you can just kind of tell there's some tension in the room. That son or daughter no longer wants to walk in relationship with God. They don't really want, and they don't really want their kids to be following God. And so there's kind of this awkwardness. But sometime doing maybe they're the whole family's together for, uh, you know, say two or three days. All right, and um, let's just say, let's say you're the parent, okay, and and I'm the say the son in this case, and uh, and I come to you and I say something like this, all right? Um, you know, Dad, we just, you know, I know that you raised us in the church. I know that you raised us to, to be Christians and all that kind of stuff, but honestly, we're just not very comfortable with that, and we don't want you really talking about God or, or anything like that over this Christmas season, especially um, with our kids, your grandkids. We don't want you talking about that. Um, let's just kind of agree to disagree on this issue. I understand what you're saying, John. I don't have a problem with that. I mean, if that's uh, what makes you feel comfortable. Is there anything in particular that you feel is uh, causing that particular um, set of feelings in you at this time? Well, we just, just to be honest, real frank with you, like, we looked at how you guys lived. Now, I'll, I'll go for the cutting approach here. Um, we looked how you guys raised us, and uh, we know that, wor- that worked for you and mom. But just personally, that whole faith thing just doesn't work for us. Um, just seeing too many things. And uh, just to know, it just really doesn't work for us. So I'm great that you're—I'm glad that you're happy. Glad that you're—you know, that, that it gives you peace. But uh, just please, for, for sake of clarity and all that— don't talk about that all at all with uh, with our family. That's fine, not a problem. You got it. Okay. Now that's uh, that, that's the final one. So so why, why did you do that, that, Ezra? Because the critical step number two of the strategy is you ask the Lord, "Is it your will for me to recultivate this relationship of restoration now at this time?" Obviously. In that person's case, it is not. I mean, they they have their little worldview, and it may take going through one of the Amos situations in chapter four, or it may take um, to the to a point where um, their whole little world just tips upside down before they at least do something like say, "Hey, Dad, I know." You know, I told you I don't want to talk about God, and that's still true and all that. But, you know, um, our little Sue um, has just been diagnosed with uh, leukemia, and I would appreciate it if you and Mom would pray for her, okay? You got it, son. Uh, In fact, let's just do that right now, and we pray together. So, you see, every person has God's time. And it's not a problem for somebody to backpedal and say, hey, not me, not now. I'm with you. It's not God's time either. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. And, you know, there's something there's something actually very frustrating, but I think it teaches us about the character of God more and more when we're able to be patient with people and love them for the long haul. Because let's just be honest, anyone can just spell it off 
and just say, well, you just need to get right with God. You need to get back in church. Anyone could do that. It takes someone with real discipline, with character, to just consistently love and be faithful in that person's life over the long haul. Um, hey, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing all this. We're almost out of time, but I, I want to just, uh, just before we close, um, talk about what's full restoration look like. We've hit on this already a little bit, but let's just assume someone wants to take that journey from dropout to being re-engaged. What does that look like, and how long does that usually take for that whole process? I know that's a big question there, but how long does it generally take for that to start to play out? Okay, as far as timing, it could be anywhere from months to years to decades. Now, it's very specific, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, longest dropout we've worked with is eight years. We've worked with many of them that are anywhere from six months to a year to a couple years to three or four or five years. So timing varies considerably depending on the hardness of heart and what God's got to do. Um, and I apologize. What was the second part of your question? Um, I think that, yeah, yeah. Yes. And um, in a nutshell, the three chords of connection that should connect every believer to the local church, whether you were a dropout or not, need to be there. You have to have the vision of the local church in the heart of the pastor, number one. Number two, you have to have other uh, good, solid Christian relationships in that church. Number three, you have to have one or more areas of service in that church. That's what full restoration looks like. That's great. Very, very precise. I, I like that a lot. So once... Once people are willing to engage in those areas, then you know that they're actually serious about the process. Okay, um, just closing, tell where can people find you? Uh, if people want to sign up for coaching, um, sometimes when we say the word coaching, people are like, ah, no, that's for, that's for someone else. Um, talk about that. Yes, okay. So if you're an active believer or a church leader or a pastor and you personally want to be equipped with the hunter strategy, which again is right out of the Bible, um, you can simply go to the website www.huntersoftheharvest.org, not .com, and you'll find there everything you need. If you're an individual, you can order the ministry book, which has the complete strategy. Um, if <clears throat> and it has a, a workbook session in the back that you can go through as well. If you're a church leader or pastor, you can actually deploy the hunter's ministry throughout your church group by small groups. You can order facilitator small group packages with DVDs, uh, workbooks, uh, study materials, and the forms that are required. And in a matter of eight weeks, you can go through a small group study campaign that will equip all of your members who take it to be hunters of the harvest for their loved ones in their circle of influence, family, friends, neighbors, and work associates. And finally, we've just released an online course whereby you can go through the Hunter strategy in eight sessions online. So if you're not a book reader, instead of ordering a book, click, 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 and you can go through the online course. Lewis, thanks so much for taking some time. This has been so, so helpful. Thank you, Ezra, for your uh, time as well. And we're looking forward to getting many thousands and even millions of hunters out there into the harvest of the dropout believer. Well, there you have it. And, uh, man, I really appreciate what he had to share. I hope you did as well. And uh, maybe you're thinking about a family member, a friend right now, that you're thinking, ah, I really want to share Jesus with them. And maybe you'll take that extra step now to be intentional in doing so. I know for me, it takes intentionality to speak um, Jesus into the lives of other people. It really does. It do often doesn't come naturally. I tend to be a little bit more reserved. And uh, so I hope this interview challenged you uh, to just go out and uh, just take that extra step. Um, maybe sometimes it's, it can be uh, for those of us that are over-talkative and over 
emphatic. Uh, maybe we just need to learn to listen a little bit more. But then for us, uh, maybe those of us who um, struggle with being a little quieter and struggle with sharing our faith, that we need to take a few extra steps and uh, being a little bit more bold. Anyways, thanks so much for listening. Hope this was helpful. I'll talk to you all again very soon. You've been listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program that helps you put into action the truth of God's word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. For more info on this program, simply visit our website, themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com. 